As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us once again bow for a word of prayer. Spirit of the living God, speak to us. Speak to us in the waiting, in the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the sighing, the rejoicing. Speak to us by your word in these Advent days and walk with us until the day of your coming. Give light to we who sit in darkness and guide our feet into the way of peace. Through Christ, the coming one, we pray. Amen. The theme for us today is the theme of peace, which is a lovely theme. You might think that all of the Bible's verses that relate to peace could be juxtaposed on a picture of a sunset and uh, be one of those sort of pacifying verses that we go to when we're feeling down. But there are also some very challenging verses in Scripture about peace. One of those is found in the book of the prophet Jeremiah. And so this morning we turn to Jeremiah 6 for our Old Testament lesson. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. The prophet says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They acted shamefully. They committed abomination. Yet they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. The time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way lies, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Last week we read the Song of Mary, but her song is not the only song that Luke gives us. Uh, this text is called the Song of Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, who was unable to speak when he did not believe the announcement of the angel um, that John would be born to he and Elizabeth. And then when, upon John's birth, his voice returns, and he utters this song, this prophecy, about the work that John the Baptist would do in preparing the way of the Lord. So listen once again for the word of God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear 
in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high shall break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a new parent, peace and quiet are a little bit hard to come by these days. The other morning I awoke at about six or so before the sunrise as James began to announce that he wanted his bottle. And as it was my turn to feed him, I scrambled to the kitchen to begin to heat his milk and our two dogs scrambled with me to take advantage of the opportunity to go outside. And as the milk reached its desired temperature, I fumbled with this complicated bottle to assemble all of its parts, let the dogs back in, gave him a treat, washed my hands, And by the time I returned to the bassinet, James had run out of patience and was screaming. And our dogs panic when James screams, and so they start barking and howling, and all of this is about five minutes after waking up. So I finally got James out to the couch and satisfied him with his bottle, and that calmed the dogs down, and then they snuggled up against us, and all was well with the world once again. Do you ever find peace and quiet hard to come by in your world? How is it that you seek peace in a stressful, chaotic world? What gives you a deep sense of satisfaction as you drift off to sleep at night? At the end of the day, we all just want peace, right? We all just want peace. This past week, one of my Facebook friends asked her audience how they seek peace in their lives, and as I was Thinking about the subject for this sermon, I scrolled through the responses out of curiosity. Many of them were what you might expect, and perhaps even what I would have said myself. I find peace at the beach, in the rhythm of the crashing waves, said one person. Another mentioned the quiet of the mountains, that sound of the wind whispering through the pines. Still another mentioned returning to his parents' home, which was always a safe refuge from the world. Sunsets, exercise, travel, and yoga also featured. One of my favorite places is St. Benedict's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. It's located just outside of Aspen in this beautiful valley with gorgeous views of the mountains. I've been privileged to spend a few weeks there in my life renting these one-room hermitages that that you can stay in for a week of quiet and solitude. And at four in the morning, the monks gather to chant the psalms in this stone chapel. And if you're willing to get out of bed, you can sit in the darkness of that sanctuary and hear their prayers reverberating off the walls. It's the most amazing surround sound experience you'll ever have. Perhaps you too seek solace in these sorts of quiet places and beautiful moments. Perhaps you seek peace by taking a time out and slipping away for a while, doing something you enjoy, reconnecting with friends and family. In our busy world, it's important to find these moments of restoration. It's important and crucial for healthy functioning. 
And in the Gospels, Jesus seeks out these kinds of places. He gets up early while it was still dark and goes away to a solitary place to pray. And before his crucifixion, uh, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to gather strength from God to prepare him for what is ahead while his disciples fall asleep at their watch. So surely there is a sense in which peace is gleaned in these moments of retreat and soothing silence. But, but if this alone is how we find peace, then we must admit to ourselves that peace is then reserved primarily for the fortunate and the privileged. That is, it's limited to those who can access its balms. After all, not everyone has the means to retreat to the beach or the mountains, to take yoga classes or take a spa day. Not everyone can easily visit their families and friends or even step out of their anxious and threatening contexts long enough to take a breath. Rest and renewal are good gifts from God, to be sure. But peace, peace is more complicated than that. Dare I say, more demanding than that. In the Bible, the Hebrew term shalom is usually translated peace into English, but it's one of those words that doesn't quite have uh, an English translation that captures its full meaning. It means peace, certainly, but not just the absence of conflict or anxiety. Shalom also denotes wholeness and welfare, completeness. Shalom is a communal term. It's not so much an individual characteristic but a corporate reality. Peace is something that we pursue not just within ourselves, but also in the world. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. If injustice prevails in the world around us, any peace we seek within ourselves cannot be the totality of peace in the biblical sense. In other words, peace is not just an inner experience we seek in order to escape the turmoil of the world. Peace must be worked for, and so it may first require a confrontation and struggle with anything that is not in line with the will of God. Peace does not exist on a private island somewhere else. It must come into being in the everyday world we inhabit. You see, in the Bible, peace is not so much a state of being as it is a path we follow. Now again, moments of solace are from God and may equip us to follow the way of peace more faithfully, but they must not take us on a detour. Biblical peace is not an escape from reality, but a call for engagement with reality. We cannot pull the wool over our eyes and convince ourselves that so long as we are okay— we need, we need not be disturbed by whatever else is going on in the world around us. Because you see, it was that, exactly that kind of escapist mentality that prompted the prophet's blistering critique in Jeremiah 6. The people of his day, especially the political and religious leadership, cared only about themselves. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain, Jeremiah complains. 
when confronted with their evil ways and the needs of the poor they were ignoring. The people said, peace, peace, as though peace could simply be pronounced into reality. They were talking the talk, but they were not walking the walk. They have treated the wounds of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, God says through the prophet. They acted shamefully, yet they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. What a way to describe complicity, treating the wounds of God's people carelessly, acting shamefully and not even blushing because careless treatment of wounds had become routine and commonplace. You see, they were talking about peace while ignoring the reality of suffering and injustice all around them. To talk about peace in such a careless way is, according to Jeremiah, to treat the wounds of God's people carelessly. The peace of God cannot grow and flourish in such soil. Sometimes we treat the wounds of people carelessly too, and thereby rob ourselves of the peace that could be ours. When we dismiss the cries of injustice from minoritized communities as playing the race card, or playing the gender card. We treat the wounds of God's people carelessly. When we ignore the plight of rural communities, scorning people as ignorant or uneducated, we treat the wound of God's people carelessly. When we blame the poor for their poverty, poverty ascribing it to their own moral shortcomings, or when we assume that the poor are helpless and lack the agency to ever improve their circumstances, either way, we treat the wound of God's people carelessly. Jeremiah declares that the peace God longs to give us cannot be the illusion of peace. It cannot be a peace that simply reinforces our own comfort while those around us are struggling. God's peace surpasses all understanding, Paul says. And yes, it does, but not because we lack the understanding of poor and the needs of our neighbor. We cannot talk ourselves into peace by talking ourselves out of responsibility toward our neighbor. Instead, peace follows when we are striving to bring healing to the wounds of God's people, when we're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. That's the antidote that the prophet offers for the state of affairs in his day. According to Jeremiah, we find peace when we follow the way of the Lord, when we walk in God's paths of righteousness. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies, Jeremiah says. Walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's peace. You see, the way of peace is an ancient path, and following the good way is how we find rest for our souls. In other words, living life in accordance with God's will is a prerequisite for finding true peace. We cannot withdraw from our lives from time to time to seek solace and rest, only to then go about carrying on living for ourselves and ignoring the needs of our neighbors. That will not bring peace. No, there must be a coherence, a congruence between the lives we live and the peace we seek. 
This would be the message that John the Baptist would bring as he prepared the way for the coming of the Prince of Peace, the way of Christ. John would preach repentance, demanding that people bear good fruit for God in their lives. And when John was asked how it is that people can bear good fruit, what should we do to bear good fruit, he gave this really complicated and nebulous answer. He said, if you have two coats and someone else has none, give them one of your coats. This is the way of peace that John prepared for Christ, and it is this ancient way that Jeremiah speaks of. Zechariah's song in our passage from Luke is a song of praise given upon John's birth that foresees the role John would play in the coming of Christ. You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, Zechariah says. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the way of peace. There it is again, the way of peace. Zechariah knew that John would go on to call the people to follow the ancient paths, the way of peace, in preparation to receive God's salvation in Jesus Christ. We've spoken a lot throughout Advent about the inner work of preparing for Christ's coming. We've offered daily and weekly devotionals, additional worship opportunities, and we've encouraged all of us to seek the peace within ourselves that anchors us to Christ. But we've also talked about the works of mercy and love that prepare us for Christ's coming, the type of work that brings us closer to the peace Jeremiah wants us to find. And many of you have responded to this call in various ways. We have seen tremendous generosity once again this year through the Caring Tree and the alternative gift market, despite the logistical challenges we had to overcome. Many of our members and youth volunteered to ring the bell at the store to raise money for Salvation Army. We've taken up a special Christmas joy offering last week. And next week, as Ryan has shared, we will take up at Christmas Eve an offering for the Deacon Member Care Fund. Our prayer is that all of these ministries together have helped us prepare for the coming of Christ in word and deed. And I am confident that as we move into a new year, we as a church will continue to look for ways to bring peace, to walk the way of peace here in our neighborhood, in our city, and with whomever God connects us throughout the world. So friends, here's the point. We cannot find lasting peace in our moments of quiet and solitude unless we are walking in the way of peace the rest of the time. We cannot find inner peace unless we are contributing to the outer peace of our community. Peace is not so much an experience to be declared, but a path, a lifestyle, a journey that is to be faithfully followed. So this Christmas, let's prepare our hands and feet as well as our hearts for the coming of Christ, so that we might not just meet Christ at the manger in Bethlehem, but also follow him along the way of peace. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.